God has chosen Jerusalem and actually the Lord will return to Jerusalem. Very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are here studying the Bible and in a minute, five minutes, we're gonna study Zechariah chapter one. This is going to be an interesting one today. In 20 minutes, Corey and Ryan are going to stop by with their segments. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at priestly stones and the book of Zechariah. Ryan? What or who are the seven spirits before God's throne in the book of Revelation? Well, the prophet Zechariah gives us a clue. That's right. It's very good because he has a lot of uh, end time stuff there too. So that's excellent. Okay, Janice, what'd you do? Today, good and comforting words. All right. So take out your Bible guide. Turn to today's passage as we begin to study a fascinating book called Zechariah. It's going to be interesting. Study this for a few days. Let's open it up and let's learn what God has said to us right now. Zechariah 1, 12 through 21. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you were angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry and they helped, but with evil intent. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? So he answered me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? So he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. Zechariah chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 is what we read today. This is very interesting. As we begin to study and go through the books of the Bible, we are in the book of the 12, the minor prophets. And the book of Zechariah clearly demonstrates the prophetic ability or the prophet's ability to see and hear from God. His message was both encouraging and challenging. His central concern was the covenant between the Lord and his people. 
Now, some scholars believe that Zechariah is the most messianic of the prophets because he speaks so openly and seems to be so matter-of-fact in his description of the activities of Yeshua HaMashiach. The book of Zechariah is a mixture of both prophetic and apocalyptic forms, comprising of eight visions, four messages, and two burdens. The first eight chapters of the book encourage people to build the temple of God. And this is the section of scripture where we read famously that quotation. We often hear it, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's in Zechariah chapter four, verse six. You see, God wanted a restored relationship with his people. May God help us as we open up and read the pages of Zechariah and begin to listen to the words of the Lord as he speaks to us today and right now. This is very important. And beloved, when we look at this, we need to understand that we are forced to concern ourselves with the things of Yeshua HaMashiach or Jesus the Christ. Now, in chapter one, a call to repentance and then visions of the horses and then the Lord will comfort Zion. That's all in chapter one, visions of the horns. And then in chapter two, we read visions of the measuring line and we see the future joy of Zion with many visions. Chapter three, visions of the high priest and the coming branch. In chapter four, visions of the lampstand on the olive trees. Now that is fascinating. But as we go back to chapter one, we begin to understand that in 12 to 21, there is the comfort of Zion that we read and we focus on. And turn your guide to it. If you don't have one, call us or write to us or go to Bible Discovery TV and you can get your guide right away. But we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us to see this because we're going to go through the scripture again. And we do that for a good reason. And the reason is we see the scripture read once and then we're going to highlight what we've read. I think that's important. Father, help us today to hear your word. We've read it, but Lord, we need to now discover what it means. This is more or less the meditation aspect of the Bible. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what you're saying to us. Because we're not trying to read into Scripture. We need to read out of Scripture. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, amen means make it so, by the way. We look at this first passage in chapter 1, verse 12, and it is fascinating. Comfort of Zion. Listen, then the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you were angry these 70 years? The angel's asking this question. Zacharias is listening. And the Lord answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, proclaim saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great zeal. 
Now I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. You know, God intensely loves Jerusalem. There's no question about that. And Zion is in Jerusalem. Beloved, we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem as Psalm 122 verse 6 instructs us. I'm going to give you an assignment. And your assignment is to read the six verses of Psalm 122. You can read the whole thing, but it's only eight verses. But read it today. Go there and read it and listen to what the psalmist says about Israel, because this is an eternal passage of scripture. So you should read that too. I know it's extra work, but it's important for us to hear that. Okay. Now, it's very interesting that God pays attention to every little thing that's happening because he does. Let's go back to verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts. And a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Again, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. My city shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. Here again, God has chosen Jerusalem and will return there. It is important we recognize that Jerusalem is God's choice. Did you know that? I mean, it's divided into four segments today. I've been there many times, and I'll be honest, there's anything but peace there, and it's just really interesting. There's going to come a time very soon when there will be peace as we continue to pray for Jerusalem. God will be there. And I want to tell you something, it's not going to be, you know, everybody's going to realize at that moment, oh, the Lord is real and was real. Very interesting. But let's go on to the next verse because this gets interesting. Verse 18, watch this. Then I raised my eyes and I looked and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? So he answered me and said, these are the four horns that have scattered Judah. Israel and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that are scattered or that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify the horns or terrify them to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. Oh my goodness, did you get that? The building of Jerusalem is a spiritual work. God's work cannot be stopped by any nation or any force. Four horns. Jerusalem is divided into four sectors right now. That's very interesting, isn't it? There's a lot going on here. I don't have time, but we've got 30 seconds. I don't have time to talk about it all. But you know what? We need to pay attention because the Lord's getting ready to change everything. Watch Jerusalem and pray for it. Watch Israel and pray for it. The superpower of the Middle East. Very interesting. Father, help us today to hear what you're saying and help us to understand that this is our new home. In Jesus' name, and we all said together, 
Amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. Now, I'm excited today because my segment is all about the seven spirits before God's throne that we read about in the book of Revelation. Just what or who are these seven spirits? Well, there does seem to be references to this sevenfold spirit outside of the book of Revelation. For example, some scholars believe that Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 is one such scripture. But there are others, like Zechariah chapter 3 verse 9 and Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10, which are a part of our reading today. So, let's go. John the Revelator, in his opening remarks, greets the seven churches of Asia in the name of him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. While it's clear that both God the Father and God the Son are present here, what isn't immediately obvious are the seven spirits before God's throne. What or who are these spirits? Interestingly, the expression seven spirits occurs four times in Revelation, and while some identify them as angels, most scholars see it as a reference to the Holy Spirit. This is based on several clues. For one thing, equating the seven spirits with the Holy Spirit would be the most natural understanding of Revelation 1-4, because it makes all three persons of the Godhead present. Second, while these seven spirits could conceivably be angels, they certainly couldn't be the angels of the seven churches of Asia, since those are listed separately and in addition to the seven spirits in Revelation 1-4. But third, and most important, Revelation is not the first occurrence of the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, for example, could very well be alluding to this very thing. Speaking of the future Messiah, the prophet declares that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Since the number seven in the Bible symbolizes the complete and perfect work of God, it's no surprise that the Messiah was also to be endowed completely and perfectly with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Although some do consider this interpretation of Isaiah 11:2 to be rather speculative, Zechariah leaves us little room for doubt regarding the identification of this seven-faceted spirit. For example, in Zechariah 3:9, this post-exilic prophet proclaims, "For behold, the stone that I have laid before the high priest Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription," says the Lord of hosts. I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Here we have the perfect oversight, the providential care of God, the Holy Spirit, represented by the seven eyes engraved on the stone set before the high priest. These eyes also appear in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. It says, For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoiced to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scanned to and fro throughout the whole earth. 
Therefore, based upon the rest of Scripture, it seems that the seven spirits before God's throne in Revelation is indeed an image of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this segment today is a good illustration of how to study the book of Revelation. Revelation often uses symbols and imagery as a representation of something real. So in order to really understand Revelation, we need to know what these symbols represent. Today's example was a case in point. The seven spirits before God's throne seems to be the Holy Spirit. He is present with the Father and the Son in Revelation. Another example would be the sword which comes out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't a literal sword as is sometimes portrayed in artwork, but rather it's a euphemism for the Word of God, as the Bible explains elsewhere. You know, it's really important to understand this method Revelation uses, and this is one of the reasons we need to know the rest of the Bible, including the Old Testament. The author of Revelation assumes that you have an understanding of the rest of Scripture, and will know what all of these symbols mean. Now, I know this goes without saying, but if you haven't already, a comprehensive study of Revelation symbols makes for a very exciting and very, very fulfilling treasure hunt. And we have uh, encouraged people to study Revelation and not to avoid it. A lot of people avoid it. And, and I say, why avoid it? It's part of the scripture. So uh, this is a good example of, we're gonna get to it at the end of the year, and we slow down our Bible reading in the New Testament and then at the end of the year, so you need to study. Mm -hmm, Thank absolutely. you, mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay, Corey? All right. Well, we are taking a look at Zechariah chapter 3 today. Uh, and it's a really interesting moment between uh, God, the angel of the Lord, uh, and the high priest Joshua. Uh, because Joshua appears before God and we see Satan accusing him. And we see him, you know, he's the high priest. He's supposed to be dressed in these uh, like magnificent robes that are described for us in the book of Exodus. Uh, and yet he's not. And, and God takes the filthy clothes off him and puts heavenly clean clothes on him and then references a special stone. So today you and I are going to be focusing in on two special stones that were held by the high priest and then we're going to talk about it. The Urim and Thummim of the Bible are a bit of a mystery. They were held by the nine inch square fabric breast piece of the high priest's garb that was decorated by 12 stones, each carved with the name of an Israelite tribe. Despite extensive descriptions of the high priest's outfit, as well as the twelve stones, the Bible is surprisingly silent on the Urim and Thummim. What they were made of, how many of them there were, and their exact function are areas of debate. The only crystal clear thing about them was their purpose. They were to be used for making decisions for the Israelite nation. This decision-making was to be done in the presence of the Lord, by the high priest, at the request of the leader of Israel. How this process worked has been a matter of discussion. The Jewish-Roman historian Josephus links the breastpiece with a special manifestation of God's presence that involved the glowing of the stones on the breastpiece and on the shoulders of the high priest. This association may stem from the possible meaning of Urim and Thummim as light and perfection. Other Jewish traditions envision messages from God being spelled out by a miraculous light, or a vision that saw the carved letters standing out from the names carved on the stones of the breastpiece. While these traditions are interesting, especially in the light of the potential meaning of Urim and Thummim, it's wise to examine the biblical passages that allude to their use. 
In 1 Samuel 14, King Saul inquires of God by the Urim and Thummim. When God doesn't respond, Saul gathers the nation for prayer and then sets designations for the Urim and Thummim. Urim will mean Saul, Thummim will mean Jonathan. Then the scriptures say they cast the lot between them. This term may explain the small number of mentions of the Urim and Thummim in the Bible. The phrases inquiring of the Lord and casting lots may refer to the use of Urim and Thummim depending on context. Casting lots was also a pagan form of divination and as such was actually outlawed by the Mosaic law. So how do we reconcile the apparent discrepancy between God outlawing divination while also sanctioning a certain kind of it? First, it's helpful to note that the Urim and Thummim were only to be used in the presence of God by the high priest and the leader of the nation. It was their way of deferring ultimate leadership to God's will. Anything apart from this was considered apostate. Second, the prophet Samuel's chastisement of Saul may be helpful here. He says that rebellion is like the sin of divination. How? Rebellion rejects the current authority and seeks to do things its own way, as divination rejects the proper methods of communicating with the spiritual world and seeks to do that its own way. So when it came to divination, was Israel willing to follow God, or would they make excuses to justify becoming like the cultures around them? So, of course, the Urim and Thummim are tremendously interesting, but they were absolutely not the only stones that were kept uh, with the high priest's garments. There were, of course, the 12 engraved stones that were on uh, embedded in the, the breast piece of the high priest. They each had a tribe name on it. And then, of course, there was a stone on each shoulder of the high priest, uh, each engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So when we get to uh, verse 8, and nine of Zechariah three, it says this, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. So based off of the high priest's uh, background here, we should probably envision this stone as a precious stone uh, that God is going to engrave. And uh, we know that uh, early Christians and Christians ever since have associated these verses with Jesus Christ, being symbolic of Christ and his church to come. I mean, you go to Hebrews and he's called the high priest. This branch is supposed to be a high priest and a king to come uh, at this time. So really interesting things that all have to do with the, the high priest's garments, at least here in Zechariah chapter three. And seven is an interesting number. Seven eyes means the completion of sight. So God has perfect sight. Very, very interesting. As you begin to understand, he is going to be the judge. So we got to keep that in mind. Okay, Janice? Yes, good and comforting words was what I titled my segment today. We're looking at Zechariah chapter one, and it's a call to repentance. But as we get into verse 12, it's the Lord will comfort Zion. And this verse stood out to me today, and it is verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. That's the New King James. In the Holman version, it's kind and comforting words. And so I have three points 
that I want to make in regards to that because the Lord continues to speak to us his kind or his good and comforting words. When we come to repentance uh, with Jesus Christ, there is reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. And that is comforting. And those are good words. So here's my points for today. It's important for us as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to stay in God's word and to keep him close to our hearts. We need to read his word, get it into our hearts, and then begin to live it in our lives. It's easy for us to get discouraged in the world we live in right now, but we must focus our attention on the work and the future plan that God has for those who love and follow him. And thirdly, it is important for us as believers not to get caught up in foolish debates, but to share our testimonies, our personal testimonies about what Jesus has done for us. It's important for us to live out God's word in our lives, to fellowship at church with our brothers and our sisters and volunteer there in the sound, in the nursery, as a greeter. It's important for us to fellowship together and to go into all the world and make disciples. We need to tell the good news of Jesus. There's so much discouragement out there, but we have the good news. We know where the bread of life is. We know where the living water is. So share it with the world. So many are starving in their spirits, in their souls, because they haven't heard the good news. Be that one to share it today. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. These are the kind Excellent. and comforting words. Excellent. And uh, Corey has also presented a Bible study. You got 20 seconds. Corey, go. <laughs> this is called Understanding Saul. It is a six-week or six-part small group Bible study format. So if you would like to know more about it or get a hold of yours, call to us, write to us, go on the website. It's available in both physical and digital download form. So go check it out today. Today, we need to, at the end of the program, pray for Jerusalem and Israel. Father, we pray for Jerusalem, the, the, the city of peace, the city that is your city that you're returning to. Bring them peace and it cannot be divided. It's gotta be under God. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would do that. Father, we pray for Israel. Continue to bless Israel and help them, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said, Amen.